Welcome to The Big Unlock, where we discuss data, analytics, and emerging technologies in healthcare. Here's some of the most innovative thinkers in healthcare information technology talk about the digital transformation of healthcare and how they are driving change in their organizations. Hello again, and uh, welcome back to my podcast. Uh, it is my great privilege and honor to have as my special guest today, Dr. Toby Cosgrove, the former president and chief executive officer of the Cleveland Clinic. Dr. Cosgrove was CEO of the clinic from 2004 to 2017, and currently serves as an executive advisor to the clinic. Uh, he's also an executive advisor to Google Cloud's healthcare and life sciences team. Dr. Cosgrove, welcome to the podcast. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Let me start with a broad question, Dr. Cosgrove. Uh, what are the top two to three issues today for American medicine as you see it today? And what is the role of technology in addressing them? Well, there's no question that uh, healthcare is uh, driving increasingly to, to value. Uh, and we must get value up from our health care, and that means uh, keeping uh, costs under control. Uh, that also means improving uh, the quality of the care. <clears throat> and parallel with that uh, is accessibility. We can't uh, provide great health care unless we have accessible health care. And I think that technology is going to be a major player in all of these things, uh, we need to uh, use that to begin to efficiently uh, and uh, more effectively uh, deliver this health care. So I am uh, very hopeful and optimistic about the role of technology for, uh, for providing great health care. Well, the talk everywhere uh, you go is about digital transformation of healthcare. And we know that telehealth in particular has made uh, significant strides. Now, what does digital transformation mean in your view? And what is your assessment of the current state of digital transformation in healthcare? What do you think health systems need to be doing? Well, clearly, you know, the more, uh, as we move healthcare from a art to a science, that applies, uh, re, uh, says that we've got to put numbers to it. Um, and more and more, we are relying on the numbers uh, and uh, and healthcare, and the numbers are piling up at an enormous rate. Uh, think about, for example, the human genome, which is now becoming part of uh, the clinical care. That's got three billion base pairs in each one of them, an enormous amount of data. Think about the right. number of number of journals that are being put out. There, there are 5,300 medical journals putting out over 800,000 articles a year. That's a tremendous amount of data. They look at uh, a mammogram that has as much information as, as, as the New York phone book used to have in that. So uh, we are accumulating a, a tremendous amount of data. It gives us uh, the ability to bring science to healthcare and uh, it then provides uh, both a problem for us, managing it all, and an opportunity that the opportunity begins to allow us to learn uh, new things and predict things that we've never been able to do before. Right, and, and the volume of medical knowledge is growing exponentially, and we'll come back to that uh, in a couple of minutes. Uh, 
Uh, Dr. Cosgrove, uh, you're now advisor to Google, and so now you have a view of uh, the healthcare industry from the technology provider side of the equation. Uh, there's several emerging technologies that seem to have potential. You know, we talk about cloud, talk about AI, uh, AR, VR, you know, the HoloLens type of technologies, voice enablement, blockchain, and so on. So my firm has done some research that suggests that technology vendors don't necessarily think that healthcare is moving fast enough to leverage emerging tech. The same research also suggests that healthcare execs don't think emerging technology solutions are mature enough yet. What, what are your thoughts now that you have a view from both sides of the equation? Well, I think both are, both are true. Um, for example, healthcare really moves very slowly, uh, and I think it moves very slowly for a number of reasons. Obviously, when you have people's lives involved, uh, that uh, tends to have people be cautious about how they adopt uh, new approaches. Um, similarly, uh, healthcare has uh, not uh, gone out and put a, a major emphasis on uh, adopting new technologies simply because of the uh, pay and, uh, for that uh, is an inhibitor in many cases. So healthcare has moved very slowly. In fact, one of the disturbing factors uh, and pieces of data is that if you look at when something is proven to be a beneficial new technology, um, between the time that's proven and the time that it becomes standard of care is 13 years. Uh, right. So health healthcare moves very slowly. Second thing is that uh, technology um, is uh, not uh, been generally as applicable to healthcare. And I think part of the reason is that it's easy to look at healthcare from the outside and not understanding uh, the uh, problems uh, associated with it for technology companies. And so I encourage technology companies to uh, begin to get deeply involved in healthcare so they understand the intricacies of it and the uh, odd things that uh, we have to deal with. Right. Now, staying on that uh, for a second, you mentioned the technology provider ecosystem and the need to collaborate and integrate more closely with uh, healthcare enterprises. If you look at the digital health startup ecosystem, it's been receiving a ton of venture capital money. Last year, I read uh, somewhere uh, it was about $8 billion in, uh, in 2018 for uh, digital health startups. Now, we also know that many digital health startups are struggling. Uh, at the clinic, uh, you have your own innovation group that has incubated successful startups, and you, you yourself contributed to several innovations during your career, and you hold several patents. What, what is the state of the digital health startup ecosystem today? What, what, what advice do you have for startups that are struggling in particular? Well, I think uh, I, I alluded to this uh, earlier, um, that I think you need to understand and address a problem which is currently uh, recognized by healthcare institutions uh, and integrate yourself and begin to solve those problems uh, in collaboration. Uh, I think the idea that uh, there's going to be a major disruption in healthcare is <clears throat> difficult to imagine. Healthcare is the biggest industry in the United States right now. 
uh, and uh, to think that any sort of startup is going to disrupt it is, I, I think, a little naive. I hopefully um, these the startups will help us solve problems that are currently existing, and I think uh, that will be a road to uh, successful imp implementation. Uh, speaking about the larger tech firms, then you know we've talked about the startups and and their approach. Uh, now you you have uh, an association with one of the largest tech firms out there, which is Google, and others in that same category, Microsoft and uh, uh, you know Apple and so on. They're also making significant investments in healthcare. Do you think uh, that they have a better shot at it, or they have a better handle on how? these things need to be managed in order to accelerate this uh, uh, technology curve for health systems? Well, the large one, large companies got tremendous uh, opportunities because of the resources they have. They have tremendous intellectual capabilities and they have tremendous financial uh, capabilities. And uh, when you combine those two, they have the potential for being very uh, uh, helpful uh, in uh, changing uh, the and improving the efficiency of healthcare delivery and the quality of the care, I think is enormous. And uh, I think properly applied, um, this is going to be a um, major help in uh, dealing with the issues that I spoke about and driving towards value. Right. Uh, I read a research report uh, recently. It was uh, published by one of the big consulting firms that says that uh, Technology adoption, the data shows that technology adoption in health systems is directly a function of the uh, the pace of the shift towards value-based care. In other words, you know, those that are moving faster towards value-based care seem to embrace technology a lot more than those that are still mostly in a fee-for-service environment. Do you agree with that? And, and if so, what needs to happen to accelerate that shift? Yeah, I do, I do agree with that, and I agree with that for two reasons. First of all, I think organizations that are moving increasingly towards value are probably more flexible and more open to innovation, and that makes them more innovation, more open to innovation, regardless whether it's uh, moving to value or it's adopting new technology. The second uh, thing is that I think that people now recognize that um, when you are moving to value, you have to uh, seek out those efficiencies, and, and this technology is an opportunity to do that. Well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about AI in healthcare. Now, AI is you know has been all the rage and all the buzz in the last year or two, and clearly AI is seen to have tremendous potential to improve healthcare. But there's also a lot of hype around it uh, uh, in today's context. Uh, some of the other issues uh, seem to be some, some of the ethical questions being raised about, you know, the use of personal data and also the potential for bias in uh, algorithms that can end up being discriminatory in practice. And we don't know that, that there's a lot of that happening in healthcare, but it has been seen in other sectors. Uh, when you look at AI, what do you think are the big opportunities in healthcare and what do you think are the big issues that are going to be a challenge in accelerating adoption of AI in healthcare? Well, I think we we do not yet know um, the uh, true efficiency of healthcare, but uh, of AI in healthcare. 
but I think we do understand um, that the ability to take large numbers uh, and uh, find uh, the predictive uh, value and uh, discover un previously unrecognized associations is enormous. Um, we have been doing this on a much smaller scale for 30 years, and we all the more we look at data, the more we understand, and the more we um, begin to um, be able to address previously unrecognized problems. Um, now, uh, AI, I think, is uh, an opportunity to begin to do that, uh, and uh, you know, I've seen remarkable examples of that. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that uh, in time we will see more and more. The real question, I think, is uh, the question about privacy and uh, who owns the data. And uh, that, um, I think, is something that we're going to have to work out over a period of time uh, who, who has the responsibility for it. I think increasingly, um, citizens recognize that their their data is uh, not personal. People willingly now give up their financial data in any number of different ways. Uh, is healthcare going to be looked at in a similar sort of a fashion, or is that going to be uh, different? And I don't think we know yet. Right. Uh, the big tech firms, uh, notably Google, Microsoft, they've made the tremendous investments in uh, building these advanced analytical capabilities, uh, AI capabilities. Google, for instance, has its DeepMind uh, division, which uh, which uh, reportedly has uh, has really advanced technology that can be applied in the context of healthcare. Uh, at the same time, you know, uh, health systems are heavily invested in electronic health record systems. Uh, you know, Epic, Sonar, and so on. Uh, how, how do you see these uh, emerging capabilities from these big tech systems that don't necessarily have a big footprint yet in healthcare? How do you see them integrating and playing with, uh, let's say, you know, your systems of record like EHR that are deeply entrenched and are an integral part of the hospital operations today? Well, first of all, I, you know, I think you made a very good point that the EMR are deeply entrenched, uh, and I don't think that you're going to be able to replace those, uh, particularly the major players, the Epics and the Cerners of the world, because uh, healthcare systems have made a huge investment in, in those technologies. <clears throat> now, uh, the question is uh, how the tech firms play with uh, these uh, electronic records. My, um, I thought it was very uh, interesting that the major tech firms uh, came together and agreed uh, last summer uh, at the White House that they would, in fact, uh, collaborate and share data between them with the permission of the owners of the data. Uh, and this, frankly, uh, begins to bring interoperability, which is a major uh, thing that healthcare has been looking for for a long time, that we didn't get when we, uh, when the government funded so much of the electronic medical re record purchase. So right. my hope is that uh, as data um, is stored in the cloud uh, as uh, a 
probably going to be the most efficient way to do that uh, in multiple clouds, then uh, that gives us uh, opportunity to have interoperability, which would be a tremendous bonus uh, for looking after the U.S. population. Right, and clearly there's been a lot of focus on the interoperability question over the last few years, and the CMS and the ONC, they've been championing open standards for a while, and they're trying to get all the players in the ecosystem, namely the technology firms, to open up and share data through common uh, APIs and whatnot. Now, I think we, you know, it, it clearly seems like there is progress being made, and we are going to see that uh, come to a logical uh, conclusion in terms of more open exchange of data among the technology providers. But the technology aside, I, I had a question about the current state of data exchange among the healthcare participants, such as, for instance, between payer and provider. Uh, what What is your assessment of the state of data exchange between participants in the healthcare delivery ecosystem and what needs to change for improving outcomes and for lowering costs of care? Well, that's been one of the issues. We, we've not had that exchange uh, that's gone back and forth between providers. And um, but as we move increasingly towards value, um, and uh, both parties, I think, recognize the importance of sharing that data back and forth. And um, we're seeing the, the, that happen uh, increasingly. <clears throat> it uh, remains to be seen how fast that will happen. But if you look at uh, major corporations uh, like uh, Optum, for example, who's collected a huge amount of data, uh, obviously well attached uh, to um, United, they, right. that gives them an enormous advantage uh, to understand how you move to providing uh, value in uh, healthcare. So I think uh, as uh, pay increasingly moves towards capitation or moves towards value, you're going to have to see that there will be increasing uh, collaboration between those two entities. Do, do you think in that in that same way, do you think uh, the shared services programs, ACOs, those are the kinds of vehicles that are likely to facilitate this? Yes, absolutely. I think those are, that's where you expect to see it. Right, right. Well, uh, talking about EHR systems again, I read an interesting uh, article in the Harvard Business Review just last week, I think, which quotes a study that the healthcare uh, sector spends an extra billion dollars a day due to the additional documentation that clinicians spend time on. And there's some other data points as well. Since 2009, the number of words in an average patient note has doubled to about 700 words. And other developed uh, countries uh, are, about, are about a third of that, in third of the number of words for an average patient load. I mean, all of this kind of points to uh, sort of a documentation burden on uh, clinicians. And we know that since EHRs came into being, we've seen a lot of overwork on the physicians and, and incidences of burnout. Where, where do you see the industry two to three years from now in terms of addressing this challenge? This is a huge. This is a huge problem right now across the United States. The the burnout rate is about fifty percent, and if you one study showed that for every hour a doctor spends with face to face with the clinical problem, spends two hours 
uh, in administrative work, and uh, that is one of the major contributors, quite frankly, to burnout amongst physicians. Uh, <clears throat> there's a number of things that we hope that are going to begin to address this, but to me, one of the uh, huge potentials is natural voice recognition. And when you can begin to uh, get that uh, to be uh, a part of a physician's recording of data, I think that will begin to release some of the burden uh, that is currently being placed on, on uh, physicians and their examination. I would expect that that's going to happen uh, first, not in primary care, but uh, probably one of the places it will happen uh, will be in the in the specialties, uh, because in primary care you have more things that you have to sort out uh, and uh, and less defined um, pieces of information that you need to record and ask about. Um, but um, so that's why I would think that it might happen first in the in the specialties. Right. Now, switching back to, to emerging technologies and digital health and digital transformation, uh, there's certainly a lot of excitement around the possibilities that these new technologies represent. The other side of the equation also is the costs. And uh, so the broad question uh, is, you know, is the payments uh, environment, is the current framework of reimbursements, is that conducive to the adoption of these emerging technologies. Where does it stand today? We know, for instance, telehealth, uh, one of the challenges for, for adoption rate has been the lack of clarity around what the reimbursement rates are going to be and, and all that is slowly emerging. But is that a factor and what do you see needs to happen next? Well, I think clearly in the adoption of uh, telehealth, it has been a major factor. <clears throat> but do you stop and think about um, once you get uh, capitation, um, then telehealth becomes a uh, real impetus. There's a real impetus for telehealth to keep people out of the hospital, keep them out of the emergency room, keep them out of the doctor's offices. Uh, and um, that um, will uh, be the financial spur that uh, drives um, the adoption. Um, and you know, increasingly, um, we're going to see uh, telehealth, I think, is going to blossom. Uh, I, right now, Kaiser, for example, which is a good example of a uh, capitated healthcare delivery system, um, sees more than 50% of their visits uh, in some, uh, only 50% of their visits uh, in person, uh, and the rest of it are done virtually in one way or another. So right. um, this is, I think this is the future of uh, where you're going to go. And I think as the payment changes, and right now uh, Medicare, Medicaid has said that they're going to have 50% of payments related to uh, some sort of risk sharing uh, uh, program by 2020, that means that uh, we're on our on our road to uh, that that type of environment, and I think you're going to see a takeoff in these sorts of modalities for distance care. Right, right. Uh, Kaiser's example of 50% of their visits as e-visits is widely coded. It also points to another important factor, which is that at a corporate level, at an enterprise level, uh, 
there's got to be some strategic goals or objective towards moving uh, substantially towards a capitated model, uh, towards virtualization of care, and so on. Uh, we know that there is a trend uh, of you know care moving out of the hospitals into outpatient facilities and eventually into homes, which is where all of the emerging technologies sort of play in in a in a big way. So, uh, is that a, what are your thoughts on that trend? Is that is that a definite accelerating trend? And uh, you know where are health systems by and large in that in that journey? Yeah, healthcare systems, I, I think, are moving slowly uh, in that direction. Um, we're seeing more and more outpatient surgery as things become less and less invasive. We're seeing shorter and shorter hospital stays. The number of hospital beds in the United States over the last 30 years has dropped from a million to 800,000. Uh, and I expect that, that, that the majority of the communities are still overbedded. How, uh, and so, you're, and you're going to see the acuity of patients who are in the hospital go up, and more and more uh, procedures are being done um, and, uh, as outpatient. Then on top of that, what we are seeing is less and less acute disease and more and more chronic disease, and chronic disease clearly is going to be looked after in the home and right. the physician's office as opposed to in the hospital. Right. Well, uh, Dr. Cosgrove, over the holidays, I uh, I had the pleasure of reading your book, The Cleveland Clinic Way, which I believe was published uh, in 2014. Uh, in the book, you discuss everything. In fact, you kind of foresee a lot of the things that we're seeing today. And you discuss everything from the merits of uh, group-based practice, EHR systems, technology innovation, and even the art collection at the clinic and its role in uh, healing. So, question for you. If you were to write the book today, what would be different? Um, well, I think that I would talk increasingly about uh, the technologies uh, to, that we've talked about and the, the potential uh, for those technologies, um, both uh, talking about uh, the digital increasing emphasis on uh, moving to uh, digital, uh, the increasing opportunity that that provides for uh, analysis, uh, for understanding, uh, and uh, the technologies, particularly around telehealth, uh, predictive precision medicine with genomics. Uh, I think the, all these are exciting opportunities. If you look at, you, if you stop and think right now, what is healthcare going to be like five years from now? It, there's going to be um, the care is going to be done in a different location, more outpatient. Uh, the people looking after you are, not, are going to be increasingly technicians and non-physicians or physicians extenders of one type or another. Uh, the diseases are going to be different in terms of more chronic disease and less acute disease. Um, and the treatments are going to continue to get more sophisticated. So we are um, in a continuing a continuum of change, uh, particularly now augmented by the rate is augmented by the um, technologies that are now emerging, and I think it's an incredibly exciting opportunity for healthcare. Well, I have one final question for you in, in that vein. What is your advice to 
uh, young people looking at healthcare as a career option. Now, I have a I have a personal a vested interest in that question. My daughter is a, a psychology major who works with autistic children, and uh, I, you know. I, I'm just curious to know what you think are the prospects for young people getting into healthcare today and what should they be looking at? Well, first of all, let me say that a lot of people say, well, uh, you know, I don't think health is a good profession now and, and why would anybody go into it? And I think healthcare is a tremendous profession. It, it is provides uh, the tremendous satisfaction from being able to look after people and you can always count on it making a uh, honest living uh and uh, and being uh financially secure it's not going to be uh, some place that you go to to uh become a member of the billionaires uh, society in the United States um but it certainly uh will uh provide uh financial stability uh, so I, I am very optimistic about it. You see a lot more and more people being uh, directed uh, to that as you see the applications to medical school way exceed the number of slots that there are in medical schools in the United States. So there's no paucity of people who uh, of high quality who uh, want to uh, enter the profession. Um, so I, I think it, it's, it's a great profession. Um, and I, I think you have to be open to uh, innovation, uh, and uh, that, to me, uh, is uh, a very, very fertile field for uh, advancement. Uh, and if you are open to uh, looking at new approaches, I think there will be endless opportunities. Thank you so much for that. Dr. Cosgrove, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you today. And once again, thank you so much for being on my podcast. Well, pleasure's been mine. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Dr. Cosgrove. Bye for now. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Subscribe to our podcast series at www.thebigunlock.com and write to us at info at thebigunlock.com.